All right, who's bringing it in? Oh, you know. Well, that's pretty ambiguous and vague. I, I actually don't know now. <laughs> Go ahead, Bob. It's all you. What What's the movie again? Three Coins in the Fountain. I thought you liked this movie. I did, but I don't remember the title or any of the names of the characters. I wrote down the character names. You know, I think I, I mistook uh, Shadwell for Shagwell. Which oh, made me think classic of, mistake. Which made me think of Austin Powers the entire time. Oh, the, the lead woman, her name was Miss Williams. And when she was at the restaurant, they yep. said Senorina Williams. And I was like, Serena Williams? Is that her name? What? <laughs> oh, I hate that character. But save that. Yeah, well, she killed herself, so joke's on you. Okay. God damn it. <laughs> well, the character didn't kill herself. Well, yeah, the well, well it, it was a lot of people died in their mid-40s who were actresses at that time. It was a tar- hard time to be an actress in the mid-50s. Hard time to be a woman. Well, save all that good stuff for the episode. <laughs> Maybe this will be a little pre-episode yeah. rundown. No, I'm going to delete this and then send you the rest. <laughs> yeah. Better not. No, you still have it anyway. All right, ready? Yes. What's up, every (laughs) fucking son of a bitch? Three coins in the fountain, each one seeking happiness. Fucking son of a bitch. Thrown by three hopeful lovers. Fucking son of a bitch. Which one will the fountain bless? Serena Williams, is that her name? What? What's up, everybody? Welcome to The Podcast Goes To, a weekly film podcast where we discuss Oscar-nominated pictures. This week, The Podcast Goes To, Three Coins in the Fountain from 1954. Is it 54, Matt? It's 54, but what's weird is I don't remember them throwing three coins in the fountain, but we'll get to that. We'll get to that first. Let me introduce ourselves. I'm Bob. We got my co-host, Matt, and a special guest, Adam, from work. Hi. I'm, uh, I'm Adam from work. That's sad. That's your defining characteristic, is that you're Adam from work? Yes. Yes, it is. As you will find out, I lead a very sad life. I'm essentially just a guy who bums off Bob's couch a bunch. I practically live in the office. I mean, sleep on that couch every night. Yeah, yeah, that, that's me. I'm just Adam from work. Which gives Adam lots of time to watch movies. Movies. So many movies. <laughs> movies, movies with coins. Coin-related movies. Yeah. Coin-related movies. I'm all about physical coins, because there's a lot of talk about Bitcoins in this office, so... <laughs> what about coins physical? that you get from the uh, the Ghostbusters uh, goo bonus at the Vegas airport? Yeah, I got $350 worth of coins from that thing. <laughs> that was dope! So dope. So, before we get started, I understand, Matt, you're back now. I'm back. I made back. It. I, I mean, technically, you already talked about your Iceland trip, but I feel That's like true. you didn't really have a good, good take on it. What actually happened for well, those listeners? Well, there was one small disaster. I locked my keys in, in my car in the middle of nowhere and called the rental car company, and they told me it would be so expensive for them to send someone out that I'm better off breaking a window 
to get to the keys. Um, <laughs> I managed to get like a tiny crack open in one of the windows, found a very long piece of wire, and some random Australian was able to rig the wire into a hook, which he was then channeled through into my trunk, grabbed the keys out. It was it was fascinating to watch. But um, otherwise, everything went well. Saw a bunch of puffin or puffins. I'm, I'm, I'm not clear on what the plural of puffin is. It's I think, puffins, dude. It just it sounds right to say it's, puffin. Like you it, say sheep. The plural of sheep is sheep. You don't say sheeps. Just seems like one of those. I, I say sheeps. I don't think it's sheeps. I think it's sheep. No, it, it's sheep. It's, it's <laughs> no, just, <laughs> yeah. No, pu- puffin sounds better than puffins. It's like you're forcing the S in. Well, you're both wrong, so I don't care. What I do care about (laughs) is buying the movie rights to your Iceland (laughs) keys locked in the car experience. (laughs) Yeah, it's not as interesting as it sounds. Although I will say that while we were trying to get the keys out, there was an Arctic fox running around the car. It was a very exciting moment, but I couldn't enjoy it because I was the asshole who had locked my keys in the car and everyone was trying to get the keys out and I was just kind of like, you know, there's always that guy with his arms crossed who's just kind of looking on, like, "Oh yeah, you got that wrench, huh? Oh, you're gonna, you're gonna do that there. Yep, oh, that, that's what I would have done." But like, you're not really helping. It was one of those. And then there was an Arctic fox running around, and I was like, "Uh, really want to take a picture of this fox." But I feel like everyone who's taking time out of their vacation to unlock my car would be a little insulted. <laughs> <laughs> so I didn't do that. But enough about me. What has been going on in your world? I'm sorry. I saw you posted the 48-hour film festival movie. I haven't had a chance to watch it just yet. But all the listeners should go and watch it. Yeah, it's just public now. On Vimeo, we posted a link on Facebook. Hopefully, Matt, by the time the podcast airs, you will have watched the movie. But it was very exciting. I think I talked about it last week. We got superhero movie, which was not a genre we were quite prepared for. And uh, Adam over here directed it. So I did direct the, it. He's the real guy to talk to. Oh, nice, man. And I had probably one of the most fear-inducing experiences shooting the movie, which I wasn't expecting out of a 48, because that whole, um, there's a rooftop segment for anybody who hasn't watched the movie yet, in which there's a big climactic fight between Fantastic Man and Sinistar that was actually shot on a rooftop in New York City. Now, I am deathly afraid of heights. Absolutely, like, I'm not afraid of much. I'm afraid of heights. And we're up about maybe 20 stories in the air, and there's a little ledge. little ledge just with nothing around it leads straight down. And you have two guys, the two guys, um, Luke and Andrew, were great enough to get us the, the set. They're out there on this ledge because they're, they're familiar with it, and they're just, like, doing the old stand on one leg, goofing off, and I'm literally behind the wall, grasping on both hands. <laughs> what the hell are you doing? Get, get back in here. Yeah, this tiny ledge, and they're just walking onto this ledge, and it's like all of New York City is below them and nothing else. It's just like, oh my god. It's funny, because like, if if you were on like a curb that's the same size, you're like, oh, I can walk on this curb. But you put that curb 500 feet in the air, it's like, this is the most terrifying thing ever. I would never walk on this. It was crazy. One of the kids on our crew, there was like this ladder that this like rickety like metal ladder that gets you up to the very very top of the roof and he was carrying lights and sandbags over his shoulder on top of the roof to blast light down and he would just climb it with one arm and like jump as he's carrying Uh a light with him 
And he had like a sandbag on his shoulder. Yeah, he had a sandbag on his shoulder. So it was like weighing him down. No problem for him. Wow. He's the real superhero. Yeah. He really was for, <laughs> yeah. for that shoot. Enough about our stupid, crappy movies. Let's talk about this <laughs> stupid, crappy movie. <laughs> Three coins and a fountain. I would love to explain what it was about, but honestly, I, I don't really know. So, right <laughs> off the bat, I was disappointed because I thought there was going to be some sort of whimsical fantasy element to this, that they were going to make wishes and throw them in the fountain and then those wishes were going to come true and it was going to be like what is going on here like these people are all acting strange kind of like a Jim Carrey movie where it's like he has to say yes to everything or he can't lie I thought it was going to be one of those and it was not I mean it was very much not at all in fact the fountain didn't really play any role in the movie whatsoever except for some metaphorical wrap-up at the end. But um, that was the first thing that disappointed me, followed by just about everything else. I think you just made a better movie right there. (laughs) I thought about it a little bit. Like, this movie was missing something for me. And and the more I thought about it, the more I thought about it, I realized, oh, my God, this movie's missing Audrey Hepburn. Not, not, I'm not taking anything away from the performances. Performances were a bit blah. I actually didn't like the, um, what's her name, the Maria character. But that's more writing. You take that back! <laughs> I love her. Go on. But they all kind of just blended together. There was no defining character. Audrey Hepburn and Gregory Peck, to his credit, in Roman Holiday, they have a, they have a presence that kind of transcends the character and kind of holds that movie together. So, and I, I was telling this to Bob before, I felt like this movie was very much, what if you made Roman Holiday, but you took out Audrey Hepburn and Gregory Peck? Yeah, it's, it at least still looks beautiful, beautifully shot, earned that best cinematography Oscar as far as I was concerned, but all told, just nah. It's funny you say that because I think that Maggie McNamara looks like Audrey Hepburn, and I was like, she is, she's an Audrey Hepburn wannabe in this movie. A little bit. What I got was like a this movie was about is like these three American girls that somehow end up in Italy, and they all kind of have their boy troubles, and they, the movie is just watching them kind of work through their boy troubles, and I wasn't really sure who the main character was because all three of them kind of had their own share in the movie. In the beginning, it was like, you know, a little bit of each of them together. They're all interacting together. Then you just go off on tangents where you're just with one of the women at a time and you forget about the other two characters. Like, oh, I guess the movie's about this one. And then it switches. (laughs) And then it switches. (laughs) I had a lot of trouble with the two, uh, with Anita and uh, Miss Francis, I guess. Because, yeah, they they, they look exactly the same. They look exactly the same. And they dress the same and their haircuts are the same. I mean, everything about them was was identical. I I tried taking notes while watching this because I wanted to have some frame of reference as far as character names are concerned. And I kept, I'm like, all right, so who's with the, okay, so who's with Giorgio? Who's with the the right, okay, she's with the writer guy. And it's it's like, you know, when you go to a park where, um, where like, you know, find the queen, find the queen. And the guy's got the three cards and you're trying to... (laughs) You know, find the queen, and it turns out he palmed the queen, so... Yeah, yeah, Miss Francis is the queen in this situation, and you think you accidentally picked the Anita Hutchins card. Instead. Exactly. It's like, oh, da- no, because he, he palmed the Maria card. 
So, all right. So, for anyone who hasn't seen the movie, let's fill let's fill them in on because I'm guessing most um, everyone has not. So it's it opens with this Maria Williams character played by Maggie McNamara, who if you don't know what she looks like, picture a discount Audrey Hepburn. She shows up to Rome. She's greeted <laughs> by Anita Hutchins, played by Jean Peters, who looks just like Dorothy McGuire, who plays with Francis, who you're about to meet. So Maria is going to replace Anita at this United States distribution agency, which I didn't really get what that meant. Is that just mail? Is that, is that just a male agency? What does that mean? What is it with these 1950s movies and like a bunch of Americans in like European countries all <laughs> over the place? It just seems like everyone in that time was just like, hey, fuck America. Let's just go live in Italy and everyone's here. It's all good. Hey, everybody. You have that sweet 50s disposable income? Come take it and spend it in Italy. <laughs> well, this was a year after Roman holiday and they obviously... They tried to build on the, the success of that, and um, but they shot it in Technicolor, so it looked it looked gorgeous. So it was a step up as far as the cinematography was concerned, um, step down as far as the story is concerned. But so Maria is going to replace Anita, and Anita lives with Miss Francis. So these three women are kind of like all friends now. They meet each other and become friends. And Miss Francis is a secretary for this American author that people think are, is dead, but is in fact still alive. He's just a recluse, and um, or an expatriate, I guess, living in Rome. And, and a dick. Uh, and I guess he's a dick. I don't know. His personality never really shines through for me. But um, the, the first thing they do is they go to this fountain, and they have to wish in the fountain, and their wish is to, has to be to stay in Rome. Like, Anita's like, no, yeah, you can make a wish, but it has to be this one wish. So, yeah, didn't you know certain fountains grant certain wishes? You can't just wish in any fountain. You got to go to the uh, I want to stay in Italy for at least another year fountain. You know, if you want free barbecue chicken, that's a different fountain. Where's that fountain located? <laughs> yeah, I'm, that, I'm getting kind of hungry. Because <laughs> that sounds a whole lot better than the oh, yeah, I want to be in Italy for another year. Just where's the uh, the boatloads of cash fountain? <laughs> So this is the three coins in the fountain is the name of the movie, right? But Anita never throws a coin in the fountain. Yeah, it was only two coins that went in. Two coins go in. So what's the third coin? Wait, maybe at the end, someone doesn't someone throw a coin in at the end? Well, Giorgio makes a comment that he threw a coin in when he was a kid, but that seemed like a stretch to be the third coin. I think because Anita was the one who was so hell-bent on leaving. Yet she ended up with the one guy who was probably honestly the most Italian out of any of them. So, you know, while she was a bit more cynical and stuff like that and wanting to leave, it was Italy that kind of won her over and pulled her back in. And I'm reaching, but I think I, I think, I think I made a pretty decent connection there. So she's the third, she's, she's supposed to Giorgio, be the... Giorgio is her third coin. Maybe she, maybe she already, she did throw the coin in, but they didn't realize it because she ended up staying anyway. Yeah, so she must have thrown it in at some point. That or it's a really gaping plot hole, and you can say it almost devours the movie, but we haven't gotten that far yet. <laughs> yeah, so there's, there's plenty of things that devour this movie. So they throw their coins in to wish to, to stay in Rome for another year. So Anita is leaving because she is going to America to get married, which Maria didn't 
know before she came, which I was confused about. How did Maria not know that Anita was leaving? But she did they came know each other before Italy, or they meet in Italy? They meet in Italy, but Maria is replacing Anita, so she has to know that Anita's leaving, right? Look, for sake of argument, let's say yes. She has to know that she's leaving if she's replacing her. Right. Okay. I don't know. That that was we- that was another thing that was weird to and me. And they all but- live in this like beautiful like mansion in the middle of Rome with some like older woman. Oh, the, the one Italian in the cast? No, not the maid. Not the maid. There's another woman? Yeah, the, she has, like, a maid in the house. Yeah. There's a maid. So these, like, secretaries have villas with maids, and so they're well off. And so, so they throw the coins. But really, the crux of the thing is that Anita is, has feelings for this guy, Giorgio, who is the translator but they're not allowed to date because you're not allowed to hang out with people you work with, which is a weird like, rule. Like, yeah, I, lo- I love that thing in the uh, when they're driving in that really, really bent-out-of-shape car. <laughs> well, St. Christopher will keep us safe. We just put this picture on this, uh, on yeah. this car, and we can and drive the, this car. And the breaks. boss and the wife like see the car drive by for a second. They're like, is that these this person and this person? How dare they? And I was like... They, they're in a car together. It doesn't necessarily mean that they're dating. Oh, but, but was it even that they were dating? I think, I think it was just that you're not even allowed to hang out with, with each other. It was like oh. you're not allowed to like, hang out with the Italians. I wish that was the case at this office. Dude, some <laughs> of the people I work with, man, you think Adam's bad. God damn, you're in for a treat. <laughs> I actually think Adam is the second guest in a row who totally shows us up as far as like talent is concerned. I think Adam and Zach should probably just do the podcast. That's what I'm saying, man. We just facilitate. We just run the show, and then we're the showrunner. Did I ask for a showrunner at the beginning? We are the line producers. The line producers. The line that's producers. What I said. Oh, my God. That's brilliant. So Anita is in love with Giorgio. And uh, she's leaving to supposedly get married, but it turns out she was lying about that. She just wanted a good excuse to quit because apparently she couldn't just say, hey, I, I think I need to go back to America. She had to you know, come up with this elaborate lie to tell her boss. Which makes no sense to me, right? Like, Oh, it absolutely makes no all sense. All she had to do was leave Italy. What are they going to do, chase her down to America? <laughs> the boss even says, like, how did it get so bad that she felt she needed to lie to me to get away? <laughs> Maybe she killed a man. Maybe. But also, like, she'd been living in Italy for years, so who is this guy in America that she's suddenly going home to marry? Because uh, how I interpret it was there was no man to begin with. She just made it up to leave. It's like, okay, why? Just say, hey, look, I'm homesick. I'm burnt out. Let me go home. <laughs> okay, that seems fair enough. Like, you don't, you don't need to lie... And again, one of the biggest problems I have with this movie, it's like some of the leaps of logic that just get doled out there like they're nothing. She didn't have to lie about that. And it literally adds or takes away nothing to the plot. Except that Giorgio thinks that she's engaged, even though it does not stop him at all from making out with her like two scenes later. <laughs> but see, and I forgot about that. So what, what does that say? Like <laughs> So before before that makeout scene, we have a party where Maria meets this prince, uh, Prince Dino. Because when I think of princes, you know, I think Dino. Dino is a good name for a prince. <laughs> yeah. 
But so so Dino is a prince. So does that make his mom the queen? I'm not really sure how royalty works. Yeah, really, dukes' kids are just more dukes or lords. Yeah, the only way you can be a prince is if your parents are kings and or queens. So, so when Maria meets the mom later, she doesn't seem too like enthusiastic like, that she's meeting like the queen of Italy. Yeah, I didn't. I, I didn't really get that at all. Also, like these relationships had no substance whatsoever. It was like she sees a guy. It's like, ooh, a guy. All right, I'm in love. And then I wasn't sure if she was messing with him because she just wanted to mess with him or that she really liked him. And yeah, so how Maria tries to court the prince is she finds out, she goes to like all the places he likes to hang and finds out everything he likes. Then she pretends to like those things, which inevitably causes the prince to fall in love with her. But then she feels super guilty about it and comes clean. And the prince is pissed, but then is like, oh, that was such a nice thing that you did. I guess I'll love you now anyway. When, like, the reality is they had zero in common whatsoever. But, like, do you need someone to like veal salt and boca just like you do to, like, want to date them? I, I... <laughs> no. It, it's going back to, again, it's creating conflict for the sake of creating conflict. Like, in a real... And applying logic to an illogical situation, which you usually have to do in movies. In a real-life situation, he takes that little book she collected, throws it over her shoulder, and says, okay, well, you did all the things that I like, now we're going to do all the things that you like. Relationships aren't built on, wow, you don't like any, you don't like the things that I like? Well, then screw you. It's not, it's not how people operate. And that, that whole section did bother me because I felt it was a little bit underhanded how, how Emily acted, even though I think that her essentially ratting out her friend to her boss was a worse move earlier in the movie. Yeah, that's something I didn't get because she's so good at lying because all she does is lie when she's with <laughs> Dino Prince mm -hmm. Dino. I can't even say that with a straight face. Dino! You're so right, Adam. Not a prince name at all. Dino is the name of a dinosaur, not a prince. <laughs> and my deadbeat cousin who does a lot of drugs. Anyway, step cousin. <laughs> Let me be clear. Step cousin. If you're, if you're listening, Dino, uh, what's up, bro? Um, <laughs> <laughs> but what was I saying? Yeah, so she's so good at lying when she hangs out with Prince Dino, but when all she has to do is like, play dumb when her boss asks about her friend lying she can't do it i i just don't understand she seems like she's gonna lie at first because she's like oh i i don't know anything about that what do you what do you mean they hung out together but then she just straight up says like oh she's not really getting married she's just pretending it's like he's not even talking about that exactly and then yeah so that didn't make sense and that's only two-thirds of what's going on in this movie. There's also this weird love thing with Miss Francis and the author, John Frederick Shadwell, played by Clifton Webb. And I didn't get this part at all. Didn't he drop out of the movie like a third of the way in and then just show up in the last act? I'm like, oh yeah, he's, he's in this movie again. Yeah. There's a lot of that going on too, where just characters would just drop out completely. <laughs> And then next thing you know, you forget which actor's playing which part, and oh my god, I've gone cross-eyed. <laughs> and I didn't know until the third act that Miss Frances loved John. Did you guys pick up on that? No, and like, why would she love him? Like, 
Yeah. And so also she's, she's going off about like how, oh my God, I'm such an old maid. I'm like, you're like 33. And gorgeous. And gorgeous. <laughs> yeah, none of these women can find any love in Rome. That's like the big, that's like the big conflict is like they've, they've been living there for years. They can't find love. Miss Frances seemed like she was seemed like she was lonely, but she didn't seem like she was lusting for John at any point until she sort of confesses that to him, that she doesn't want to, like, die alone. And he's just like, well, if you want, I guess we can get married. And then in the next scene, she's like, I loved him for 15 years. I can't believe it. But I didn't think that that was anywhere in the in the movie before that. And then next scene, brain tumor. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. The turn of events was so crazy. <laughs> yeah, things really ratcheted up. Not nearly as crazy as picking next week's decade. All right. And just for people who haven't seen the movie, Adam is not just yelling brain tumor. There is actually a brain tumor in this movie. <laughs> there's, a, there's a surprise brain tumor in this there's movie. A surprise. Surprise! <laughs> I've been having headaches for years. <laughs> All right. Next week, the podcast goes to the 1990s. A fine so, decade. That is a fine decade. I don't think we've gotten the 90s since Saving Private Ryan. So yeah, and I'm super excited because I've been in a grunge listening phase lately. Damn straight. Oh, all right. I, I guess I can respect that. <laughs> well, I normally grunge? listen to disco and techno, so grunge is a big deal for me. Uh, do you have any um, grunge band uh, suggestions for someone trying to get into it? Nope. No. And Adam? we'll be back after a <laughs> quick break. For just such breathtaking scenes of beauty, Cinemascope was created, as it takes you for the first time into fabled, fabulous Italy. Nothing but Cinemascope could capture such tremendous breadth and scope. You see more because there is more on the film to see. All the splendor of St. Peter's, Baroque palaces, the Borghese gardens, the Grand Canals of Venice, the glories of Rome. And in this eye-filling setting, the worldly, wicked, wonderful story of three American girls who tossed three coins into the fountain, as the Romans do, and fell head over heels in love, as women do. And we are back here on the podcast goes to talking about three coins in the fountain, one coin for every person we have on the podcast today. I'm Matt, we have Bob, we have Adam, and our guest can go first here with a little round of what are you watching what are you into, man? I've been trying to watch Westworld now for the past couple months. Is, and, it, is it everyone? And, but but here, here's the thing, though. <laughs> I've not been trying to watch season two. No, no. I'm so far behind. I've been trying to watch season one. Oh, man. Because you see, I'm not a television person. And that's not to say that I don't enjoy what the current, you know, how television's made these days. Because it is very much on par with movies. I just like being in and out. I like, you know, nice two-hour story, beginning to end. So every time I'm about to watch episode six, which I've been trying to watch now for maybe three weeks, I'm like, I could watch Westworld, or I haven't watched Streets of Fire in a while, or I haven't watched Die Hard in a while. I haven't watched uh, Ghostbusters 2 in a while. Why I decided to do that is beyond me. But yeah, that's what happens. Usually every night before I go to bed, I'm like, 
go over my shelf. Oh, here's something I haven't watched in a while, and I'll put that in and avoid my uh, my Westworld watching obligations. <laughs> Is it just peer pressure? Do you just feel like a societal like push that you feel like you need to be part of the conversation, or are you genuinely interested in it? I'm genuinely interested because I do enjoy the the original Michael Crichton movie, and I actually like Michael Crichton as an author. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to see, and you know, Jonathan Nolan's attached to it. It's got a cast to die for. I'm finally glad Jeffrey Wright, who's a real journeyman, that he's finally in a part that people are going to be like, hey, I know you from this thing. And actually not remember the character, but actually maybe remember Jeffrey Wright as the actor. And not, okay, he plays uh, Felix in the new Bond movies. Um, that that black guy. Oh, Je- Jeffrey Wright, I think. like He's not no, he's no mm-hmm. longer just the answer to a trivia question. And of course, Anthony Hopkins, I can watch... You know he's so good. He can. I, I'd love to hear him read Goodnight Moon or something. <laughs> he's that good. He, he's that good. He can pull it off. And I think I just broke Bob. Well, jokes on you, Adam. Because if you got to episode six of Westworld, <laughs> Anthony Hopkins reads it to Dolores. <laughs> now I have to watch. God damn it. <laughs> no, but it's it's tough for Adam because. There's a lot of TV that's watched in our office, including our boss watches every TV show that's ever, like, out. He, like, watch, it, he's seen every show. So, like, we all talk about TV shows. Westworld is the one show that everyone in the office has watched. Except for Adam, of course. But exactly. <laughs> I know you're, you haven't gotten to season two yet, Matt, right? No, I'm, I'm stuck on episode two of season two. It's just, it's the same situation where it's like, hey, I... I could put this show on for... Actually, it's kind of the opposite situation. I could put this show on for an hour, or I could watch two 20-minute episodes of this show and then go to bed. Or, you know, it's like... Or the same situation where it's like, I feel like I'm behind on this movie that came out four months ago. I really should watch this. It's on Netflix. Let me just pop that on. It's It's just tough for me to invest in a story that's so long, and I'm not sure if it's gonna get a conclusion... That's happened with several shows where I've gotten burned before. And so that's part of it. And the other part is just like... What I really want to know, Matt, you've been traveling a ton. What have you been watching on the plane? Ah, so there was this Icelandic movie that I think won Best Director at Sundance called Breathe Normally, I think. Um, so I did not watch that because that did not seem like a plane movie whatsoever. Instead, I watched John Wick Chapter 2. Nice. Sticking with the Italian theme. A lot of Keanu Reeves grabbing a guy by the wrist, flipping him over his shoulder, twisting the gun out of his hand, and then shooting him in the head. That happened like at least ten times, and I loved it every single time. And they finally explained the pencil. They finally, yep, they finally explained the pencil. And um, I just love the the underground worlds that they created with, with those movies. It just bums me out a little bit that um, they kind of make it seem like every person on the planet is in that underground society when I thought it was like an exclusive assassin group. But otherwise, I thought it was a pretty solid sequel. It was. Um, the first one established the rules, and I feel like the se- the second one really just grew the world like you know it went away from that you know kind of confined claustrophobic space of that first one and really delved into just how vast and how deep this network is 
I agree with you. I feel like it got a little bit too big as far as like, yeah, it seems like this club isn't really that exclusive. But I actually feel like I liked the second one better than the first because of how big, much bigger it got. And not to just because Keanu Reeves is in it, but The Matrix tried to do that with the sequels and expand on the world, and I think they ruined it. It seemed to expand in a direction that was not hinted at in the first one. It seemed to go somewhere else, whereas I felt like this really followed that same path and tone. I agree, and also that might be because The Matrix was such a big success, and the studio went, great, what do you have next? And the Wachowskis went, uh, what do you mean next? Uh, Okay, and just like they threw a bunch of stuff together, and that was the Matrix sequels. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so speaking of sequels, I also watched a, not a sequel, but a remake, and it was Tomb Raider, the new one. Oh, with Alicia? With my, with my girl, my new celeb crush, and it was very (laughs) okay. (laughs) Interesting. Is she your new celeb crush? You got a, isn't she married to Michael Fassbender? No, maybe. I like him too, so... I have no problem with that. So you're saying yeah, you I'm have saying. a threesome with Michael Fassbender and Elisa Vikander? Who, you, who wouldn't? I, yeah, I was going to say, are you saying you wouldn't? Exactly, who wouldn't? Who wouldn't? Um, so yeah, I mean, it was very average. I and mean, it was paint by numbers, um, pretty good performance. I, I thought, you know, it's we're at the point now where an average script is like a good script in Hollywood because bad scripts are just running rampant. So... Um, pretty good much much like the one we're working on matt (laughs) oh yeah it's i mean it's just like at the point now where like we're talking about flaw logical flaws like it's at the point now where if you just make something that's logical it it doesn't really matter if it's still if it's like still bad as long as it's like oh this makes logical sense that one thing would lead to the other and i know a little bit about their personalities so okay this fits just like the action scenes are just so generic it's it was just but i was on a plane so i was like all right this is cool I mean, yeah, there's some shit out there, but there are a lot of really good movies out there. Uh, I recently caught The Incredibles 2. Did you also catch the beginning of Jurassic World? Yeah, <laughs> yes, we did. Actually, me and Adam were both at that screening. And... Oh, Jesus. <laughs> so tell us what so, happened. So we're, si- we're sitting in the theater, and we both movie passed this thing. We're excited. You know, it was like the last showing of the night. We're sitting in the theater, and the previews start playing. And they're all, like, action movies, PG-13, like, sexual, you know, content and stuff like that. And I was like, these aren't the right previews, dude. And he's like, what do you mean? And I was like, like th- normally they play a bunch of other, like, animated films for an animated film. Like, it just doesn't seem right. These previews aren't right. And Adam's like, ah, whatever. <laughs> you, you don't know what you're talking about. Go that far, and then and then what happened, Adam? What what popped up on screen? <laughs> the Universal logo popped up on screen, and I felt the color slowly leave my face, and said, "Oh fuck, it's Jurassic World." He, all he needed to see was the Universal logo, and he immediately screamed, "It's Jurassic World!" and ran out of the theater. Because <laughs> I've been trying to avoid Jurassic World. <laughs> Out of my way, tried to avoid it because um, I was not a big fan. Can you show it some respect? Of... It's called Jurassic World: Fallen Kingdom. <laughs> Blow it out your ass. <laughs> <laughs> and it was funny too because, like, precursor to that night is like we're deciding what movie to see, and literally it was as long as I don't see Jurassic World two, I'm happy. 
I just don't want to ever see this movie. And we, we run out of the theater like, oh shit, we're in the wrong theater. And we look up and it says The Incredibles on the, on the sign. So we like, we, we talk to the uh, attendant person. They're like, what are you talking about? And then like, what? Five minutes after Five, us, yeah, exactly. the rest of the theater walked out. It took them a little longer. The Universal logo wasn't enough, I guess. Yeah. Um, so we, they're like, oh, we're going to pause it and switch to The Incredibles. We're really sorry. And it was like a T-Rex was chasing some dude, and it opens <laughs> its mouth. And it's about to eat the dude, and then it just pauses, and they switch to The Incredibles. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what a cliffhanger. You have to go see the rest now. It was, it was all I needed to see. What about you, Adam? I think I'm good. I'm so, actually going to see it this this uh, The Incredibles or Jurassic World? Jurassic World. I do not like The Incredibles whatsoever, so I have no interest really? in seeing Incredibles too. Yeah, and it, it's nothing against The Incredibles. It's just I'm not really into animated movies that feature people. I'm more into like more of like an animal or inanimate object animation so you're, guy. So like less um so less Incredibles, more like a Zootopia kind of thing? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, right on. Um, but Zootopia is just a bunch of animals like that want to be people. Yeah, so. and I'm cool with that. Like that's just what I'm yeah, into. I I think you're just a racist. <laughs> you think I'm a human humanist? Humanist. No, I'm a humanist. Fuck you. That word means something else. You're a racist. <laughs> um, so, but, so for I'm gonna I'm gonna drop bomb on you, Matt. I mean, Incredibles two, awesome movie. Action sequences were amazing. Rendering and color, lighting effects, amazing. Cast, amazing. Music, amazing. But the opening short film before it, 100 times better. Wow. Yeah. That is a bomb. It was great. And I, and I second that. I, I can only compare it to the first five minutes of the first five minutes of Up. Oh, no. The most devastating five minutes <laughs> ever. The most devastating, yeah. Well, I, I, I love Up and most of it's because of that first five minutes, oh, but... Sorry to interrupt, but that is a case of a movie that is about humans that I just absolutely love. So, I, I exception to my own rule, but go on. Well, that one's, that one's tough because it's... There is a most, dog in there. There's dogs and there's, there's Kevin. There's yeah. Kevin. What are you saying, Bob? Because <laughs> the boy's Asian, he's less than human? <laughs> oh, not Kevin. Uh, what's the name of the... Uh... The, um, the Russell. Ostrich? No, Russell's no. the name of the kid. Yeah, Kevin's yeah. the name of the bird. That's I'm not talking Kevin's about name the, Russell. Oh, yeah, yeah, Kevin the bird. <laughs> Kevin the Kevin's bird. a girl. <laughs> oh, All right, so go ahead. Really, but whereas you know, Up was about you know a uh, husband and wife. It was more about a mother and a son, and kind of that whole complex relationship through you know birth to adolescence to adulthood. And again, did it perfectly in five minutes. Yeah, that's a skill. I did. I, did you guys see the one last year that Pixar did where it was about the lost items in the playground that come to life? No. What movie did that play before? Um, it must have played before Coco. I saw Coco twice. Okay, maybe it didn't then. But that was that was Pixar's. Um, but I didn't see it. In, I didn't see it in theaters, so maybe it wasn't in the. It wasn't on TV before it. That was their uh, best short. Uh, submission for last year. I forget what it was called. It was called like Joe or something. Oh, Lou, actually, it was called. Lou. That sounds Lou. familiar. I don't think I saw that one. Oh. But I'm telling you, this movie, the dumpling movie, man. Yeah, it's about dumplings. Um, <laughs> Wait, yo. they're dumplings? 
You just gotta watch it, man. Yeah, go go seek this go thing to, out. It's a you mom dumpling and a son dumpling. No, no, just like an Asian dumpling. dumpling. Just a, yeah. Yeah, uh, dude, I was wiping my fucking face before <laughs> before Incredibles. I believe on. it, man. Those movies are real tearjerkers. I've I've cried during a number of Pixar movies. Um, Wall-E comes to mind. Toy Story three. Um, but this was the short film. They had nothing to do with Incredibles. No, I know. <laughs> Although there there have been a lot of good ones before the movies. They do a good job. Mm. So, speaking of doing a good job, the lights oh. just went out, and now we look super dance party here. But <laughs> at least we can probably somewhat be seen on the screen. Matt, all I see is a giant black <laughs> Jesus screen. Jesus Christ! <laughs> with, like, rain. Is it raining at, in Atlanta? No. Or is that just... Nope, that's just grain oh. on your shitty camera trying to pick up. <laughs> No, no exposure whatsoever. Why don't you turn on the lights in your apartment? Yeah, I'm sure you have electric by you. There we are. Welcome to the podcast goes to this week. I can see Matt's face. <laughs> All right. Lights are on. I want to turn this into a video podcast, but I'm having my doubts now. <laughs> <laughs> no, I Not can the make Mac it up. Let's transition here into the academy awards it would be the 1955 academy awards yeah someone tell me because i certainly didn't do the research what was this what was this film nominated for it was up for best cinematography best song and best picture so only three so best song i think that was frank sinatra that sung the, the main title song he did. In the summer wind. Kind no, of... That wasn't the song, though. <laughs> no, it was not. The song, the the song, song lyrics, now. like, not to nitpick, but they also didn't apply to the movie at all because it clearly says only one person out of the three is going to actually find love. But, spoiler alert, in the end, they all find love. Do they? Well, I, feel like, I feel like one couple does. I feel like... Um, Anita and Giorgio, because I will say it's about Jean Peters' performance. That last embrace and that kiss, she sold the hell out of that. And for me, right there, that just automatically made them the most believable couple out of the three couples. Well, it's definitely the only one that's going to live, because quite right. literally one person is going to die within a year because of the brain tumor. And then the Prince and Maria, they just run up to each other. They smile. They look kind of happy, but there's like... That thing is going to last maybe another six months if they're lucky. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, all right, so I agree with you there. And it, it won cinematography? It won cinematography. I, I mean, well-deserved. This thing was beautiful. Yeah. I, like To the point where I was so uninvested in the story that I was like, maybe I'll just mute it and just watch it. And I honestly, I would do that tonight. I would just throw this movie on and and mute it and just... And just watch it and not care about the story, but just enjoy what I'm seeing. That's kind of how I felt about An American in Paris, too, where it was just so beautiful. And, I mean, the, the songs were kind of fun, too. But I didn't really care about the plot. It was just really nice to look at. Totally. And uh, the Cinescope was pretty cool. I really enjoyed that. Although the wide anamorphic lens they had was, like, not nearly as sharp as the tighter ones. I don't know if you noticed, every wide shot kind of looked... Like a fisheye, yeah. I mean, they all kind of had that vignette, like distortion or barrel distortion at the like edges of the frame. Anyone that like walked past them would like kind of bend as they walked away. But yeah, it was just it was it was great to look at, and it's just weird because it was 
what, a year before or after Roman Holiday, which is like black and white, not really interesting cinematography. Yeah. So Cinemascope did win a 1954 honorary Oscar and um, anamorphic by definition, um, which Bob was just talking about. It's just a way to shoot a widescreen picture on standard 35 millimeter. Um, and it who, distorts the image. Who are you mansplaining image. to right now? What's that? Who are you mansplaining to? The audience. <laughs> oh, I forgot about them. I thought we were just having a nice conversation. No, the one guy no. in Russia needs to know these things. Yeah, who is that Russian dude? <laughs> and um, they project, uh, they distort the image when they project it, so it stretches it to recreate the original aspect ratio, but it's now on a bigger viewing screen for, for a theater audience. And um, I didn't, uh, I don't think I said this the last time we talked about Cinemascope, but the guys who developed it, or the company that developed it, do you know what they're, they do today? They make what? a different kind of lens. They make contact lenses. Hot diggity dog. I, I wear contacts sometimes, and I certainly don't see in Cinemascope. Oh. <laughs> it, it's funny you mentioning Cinemascope, too, because before I watched this movie, I watched the trailer just to be like, all right, well, let's see what the hell I'm getting myself into. <laughs> and the first, like, two minutes is just a full-on sale for Cinemascope. Like, please, please come to the theater. See, you can't do this stuff on television. Look, Cinemascope, the, it's bigger. The image is deeper. Please come. Please come to the theater to see this movie. Because <laughs> it's 54 and television is about to just absolutely kick movies' ass for the next decade or so. This was maybe not in the same vein as 3D, Again, this was the time of get gimmick, put gimmicks on the movie so they can get to the theater. That's again with the Technicolor, like that's that was the thing that that made the movies different from the TV experience. Like, yeah, you can you can get some sort of broadcast in your living room, but you're not going to get this kind of broadcast. Yeah, and it's and it's an interesting point Adam brings up about the TV kind of beating out film, and films kind of like, oh no kind of happening today too the television that's out right now it's so high concept and it's basically a bunch of movies just a longer story a lot of good actors are doing television now because it's it's steadier work than film so it's interesting to see you know it happened in the 50s and now it's kind of coming back again so what do you think that they're what do you think is going to be the innovation that gets people back into the movies obviously it's not movie pass because that is floundering but. It gets me to the movies. <laughs> it gets Adam to the movies. We can't afford movies. <laughs> yeah. So so the it's hard now because I feel like we've kind of hit that crest of like that early 60s spectacle movie. And look, I love Marvel. I absolutely adore Marvel. I, there's only two movies I don't think I've liked. But the rest have all been good to great, in my opinion. Which have been the two you didn't like? I know we're like going to get on a tangent, but... Iron Man 2, Thor 2, which is everybody's, like, ones yeah. that they can't stand. Oh, I think Iron Man 3 is worse, but... I, I used to hate Iron Man 3, and then I watched it again, and I'm like, okay, because I read, I read the comics. Yeah. And what they did in the Mandarin, and, you know, which is a, Iron Man's, like, arch one nemesis, kind of like his Joker, was at the time, I'm like, oh, my God, this is terrible, and then you go back and you read the books and you watch the movie, you go, oh, yeah... Right, the Mandarin is an incredibly racist stereotype. Thank God they did this mm. and not go with the original. But okay. I think that, going back to what I was saying, where now we're being sold spectacle, 
you know, it's a giant roller coaster. Come, come see this big giant scope of what we can do. But by the same token, too, like you look at the Oscar year this past year and how strong it arguably was. You look at, you know, a lot of the indie movies coming out are starting to generate some buzz. So I feel like, you know, everything's cyclical. We might have a new Hollywood kind of situation where eventually one giant movie, most likely a DC movie, the way things are going, bombs so exponentially that it puts Warner Brothers in a precarious position. And they go, all right, Guillermo del Toro, we're going to give you a lot of money. Make something amazing. You know, the rest will just kind of fall into place. Or we'll just be stuck with a bunch of movies with The Rock fighting giant apes and jumping off skyscrapers and whatever else he's been in recently. Oh, <laughs> I, and I like The Rock, but that, the skyscraper looks so bad. I, it's see, basically, it's I, basically Die Hard, just a taller building. It, 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 yeah, it's Die Hard minus Bruce Willis, minus Alan Rickman, and most importantly, minus Reginald Val Johnson. <laughs> and the building's on fire. Let's not forget that. It's almost like the last like 10 rock movies that came out have all been like made at the same time. And they just like, which scene should go in this movie? (laughs) (laughs) They just like, they just shot a bunch of cool scenes. They're like, all right, let's put that in this movie and that in this movie, make the rock puzzle. (laughs) Speaking of epic battles, um, we did have an epic battle at the Oscars for best actor. Marlon Brando and Humphrey Bogart, who had faced, faced off three years earlier. I'm sorry, what were you saying? I got I got in character. Uh, just don't remember now. You better hope we don't get that movie. <laughs> Was it, what movie is that? The, the Glass Menagerie? No. Streetcar Named Desire. Streetcar Named Desire, same shit. Directed by Elliot Kazan, who also directed On the Waterfront, this year's Best Picture winner. <laughs> there you go. Um, another big... Uh, podcast related note for this year was this was the year that they remade a star is born with judy garland again for the second time only so it was an actual remake instead of just all right well we'll have ideas star is born that that's that's tried and true (laughs) yeah it's funny that in the 50s they were doing the things that they still do today and we complain about it like it's something new but it's always been going on uh, we also had Grace Kelly winning Best Actress for The Country Girl. So she was the one who upset Judy Garland, who was giving birth to her third child and could not attend the ceremony. And Dorothy Dandridge became the first African-American actress to receive a nomination for Best Actress. We spoke about that a few weeks ago with Lilies in the Field. Amen. Which was such a bad Amen. episode that we have had a guest Everybody now. every week Amen. since then. Come on, men. Ah, that movie was so bad. It was a great movie. It was like the first 15 minutes of uh, the really bad baseball movie we watched. Uh, (laughs) The Field of Dreams? Yeah, it was like the first 15 minutes of Field of Dreams with like less going on, but stretched out for a whole movie. (laughs) (laughs) Stretched out for an hour and a half. Oh my God. Let's build a chapel. Let's build a field. Bob Hope was the host. Again. Again. And yeah, on the waterfront, um, apparently there was a wonderful performance in that by Marlon Brando, who won Best Actor. So what else about these awards? Nothing, because Matt... 
it's time to narrow down the 90s into our Oscar year for next week's episode. Wonderful. Next week, the podcast goes to 1996. Oh, wow. Damn. Fargo is one of them. I can't think of the other four. Do you want to play a game of Guess the Movies? Let's play Guess the Movies. Okay, you are correct with Fargo. Which should have won, but... But what won instead? A Miramax (laughs) film starring Ralph Fiennes and William... Oh, God... God damn it, the English patient. The English patient, that's correct. <laughs> two for no two. No wonder, I'm trying to block that out of my mind. <laughs> what about this 1996 American romantic comedy drama sports film starring Tom Cruise and Cuba Gooding Jr.? Jerry Maguire. Jerry Maguire, that was an easy one. And now we get to something a little more obscure. Mike Lee directed this Simon Channing Williams-produced film Starring Timothy Spall, Brenda Blethyn, and Phyllis Logan. It's a British drama film. What the fuck? Okay, I know Timothy Spall. I've heard of Mike Lee, though. I've never seen any Mike Lee movies. A well-educated black middle-class London optometrist who who was adopted as a baby and has chosen to trace her family history only to discover that her birth mother is a working-class white woman with a dysfunctional family. All right, I'm tapped. (laughs) Secrets and Lies. I've never heard of it. Never heard of that. And an Australian biographical drama film based on the life of pianist David Helfgut, who suffered a mental breakdown and spent years in institutions, played by Jeffrey Rush. Oh, uh, Shine. Very good. Another movie. That's impressive. I don't think I've seen any of these movies except for Fargo. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you betcha. (laughs) There's some good ones in here. I don't think that's good detective work, yeah? (laughs) I'm cooperating here. So let's go ahead and take our final break, come back, and wrap up talking about three coins in the fountain. It's the final break now. And suppose you should wake up one bright morning and discover that I was desperately in love with you. Wouldn't you find that rather disturbing? The possibility of arousing unsuspected passion at my age would be not only disturbing, but rather reckless. I've lied to you. From the first moment we met, I have done nothing to restore your, your faith or your trust. I have a day or two left before I have to go back. Would it help you at all if we spent them together? Welcome back to the podcast goes to. So, as we stated earlier, none of us were really a huge fan of this film. So, Adam, how did you cope with watching a film you didn't enjoy too much? Well, I dug into my vast film-watching mind while I was sitting on that couch over there eating my, my chicken and trying to get through this movie. And I just began to think, You Man. own your own chicken? 
I own my own you chickens. Guys are big I, chicken I breed them over there. I breed them out in the uh, in the courtyard, and once every week I go and I pick the fattened one, chop its head off, stick it in the oven, and voila, I've eat, I'm eating my chicken. If but, you couldn't tell, we're not video editors; we're chicken farmers. <laughs> yeah, the the video editing uh, it, it's all front for the chicken farming <laughs> for the chicken black market. For the chicken black, exactly, chicken black market. Just don't call it the black chicken market. <laughs> <laughs> that just sounds really bad. Oh, God. <laughs> it gave Popeyes. So, Go on, Adam. <laughs> so I compiled a very small list of other movies from 1954 I could have watched instead of Three Coins in the Fountain, <laughs> which I just struggled to remember. So um, apparently in Japan... There was this, uh, this small movie about a giant lizard that destroys Tokyo. I'm not sure if that one has any legs. Not sure. That sounds a little bit obscure. Uh, Gojira, I think it was called. <laughs> Something like that. Probably Gojira! just Probably just went away into the ether. Nobody ever heard of it ever again. Uh, another monster movie from Universal, considered the last of the Universal monster movies, Creature from the Black Lagoon. I could have been watching Creature from the Black Lagoon instead of this movie. Oh, didn't we talk about that with uh, Shape of Water? Yeah. Yeah. I oh, do, yeah. I remember that. Wow. That so, kind of had some influence on Shape of Water. Yeah. So I guess that movie, another one that uh, echoed through the decades. Another Japanese movie, Seven Samurai. Oh, so, wow. yes, I'd rather watch a four-hour black-and-white samurai movie <laughs> than watch this movie ever again. You want to know why? Because at least that movie has characters, <laughs> not ciphers. Oh, this is... This is getting uh, this is getting mean, Adam. A little bit. We're gonna have uh, we're gonna have the director of this movie come on the show next week to rebut this. <laughs> and how are we gonna get him here? Do you have any uh, seven magic dragon balls we can wish him back to life with, so he can come and debate me on this show? <laughs> <laughs> well, if I have to find the dragon balls, I will. All right. Because I swear my hair turns yellow when I sit on the toilet. <laughs> so let's let's move on. All right. Um, rear window. Hitchcock, maybe oh, not his best. That's my favorite. You want to know what? Um, I would say it's definitely top ten for me. I every time I watch, I it just less and less. I feel like. Oh really? Maybe I watched it. Mind you, though, how many times? I probably watched it like thirty times at this point. So. Who watches Rear Window thirty times? I do. That's who. <laughs> every time he wants to watch Westworld episode six, he thinks uh, Rear Window though. Rear Window, that's uh... episode six of Westworld. I remember that one out of the whole season. Like it's a really good episode. <laughs> so it will be the one that I'm go. All right, that's it. I'm just gonna sit down, get through these last three. No, you're gonna blink and be like, oh my god, the sun's up. I had to go to work, but I just finished the season. That's what happened to me, dude. Binge. And then the final one on this list, the Audrey Hepburn movie of this year, also starring Humphrey Bogart, Sabrina. The Teenage Witch? (laughs) I was just thinking that. That movie had witches, and it would also make it a little bit more interesting. Mm -hmm. Instead, it's a uh, creepy Humphrey Bogart hitting on a much younger Audrey Hepburn. Is this a Woody Allen movie? (laughs) Come on. Come on. (laughs) I'm walking here. I don't know why I said that, but I love saying that. And then an honorable mention, because I actually have not seen this movie, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. Kirk Douglas, James Mason, Disney live action. What could go wrong? Isn't that the movie where the song, Under the Sea, is that that the same movie? Yes, yes it is. Oh, 
That song won best original song, though, I believe. If not, it should have. Under the Sea. Actually, I think it won best original song in 1996, our Oscar year. Whatever, we'll, we'll visit that next week. Here's Maybe a question. Maybe it'll be our first episode in at least 15 episodes where we do some street cleanup. Oh, yeah, we haven't in quite a while. I think I had something for Chico, the mission, but I forgot now. Chico needs uh, to help us out here. So here's a question. How many Godzilla movies do you think that they have made in Japan? In Japan, so not including the 98 and the 2015 one. So the American-made ones. 21. Well, according to this, it's 32. Jeez. That includes a movie, that includes the current period of movies. There's been one every single year since 2016. Shin Godzilla, Godzilla Planet of the Monsters, and two coming out this year, Godzilla City on the Edge of Battle and... Gojira Hoshiwu Kumona. So wow, I think that's the first time you pronounce something correctly, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> I secretly know how to pronounce things. I just choose not to. You kind of look extra Japanese today, too. It's weird. Well, did they count uh, Austin Powers Gold Member in there? They did not. For the <laughs> for the American adaptations, there was one in 1956 called Godzilla King of the Monsters. And Godzilla King of the Monsters is the name of the 2019 movie coming out. Um, but so Warner Brothers now is currently holding the license, so should be interesting to see what happens with with that franchise. I'm curious what Godzilla vs. Kong will be like. In I Kong. mean, I like I'm both of those thrilled. movies, though. I liked. I really liked um, King Kong, the new one. I guess it was just called Kong. It's hard to call uh, King of the Monsters like its own thing because that was just the Americanized, all right, well, we got this movie now. Let's shoot a couple scenes with this one guy. And it was essentially like a dub of, of the original. So, yeah, but then there was that 98 garbage fire by Roland Emmerich, which I like not to think about. And then the, <laughs> Didn't they and then rip the, off like every single shot from Jurassic Park, The Lost World? Yeah, they did. Which, if you're, if you're going to steal Wait, from was something... That the, was that the one with Matthew Broderick in it? Yes. That's a lot of fish. So we have a mutual friend, Matt, from uh, film school that she claims it's one of her favorite movies of all time. No. Yeah. Who is this person? Yeah. I can't imagine. They must not have seen it since 1998. Apparently, she watches it on the reg. So does she, like, ironically watch it? No, she just really thinks it's good, and it's, like, one of her favorite movies. Because, like, here's my thing. It's, like, it's okay to like a bad movie as long as you understand that you like it despite the fact that it's really bad. Like, my friend Pat, he genuinely thinks Jurassic World is a good movie and will argue when I'm okay with him liking it as long as he likes it in the face of it being absolutely horrendous. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, otherwise no one would like any of my movies. Let's be real. Oh, it's like how I like the Fast and Furious movies. I love how bad they are. I love that they get worse every single movie. What was your favorite Fast and Furious, Matt? Uh, the last Paul Walker one. So Furious Seven. Oh, uh, I'm a I'm a big Tokyo Drift guy. Oh, that was a good one too. By far my favorite. Everyone gets mad at me for that because it doesn't have any of the actual like characters in it. <laughs> it's just like a random side plot of some dude in Japan. That they then somehow work yeah. into the beginning of Fear Fast 8. <laughs> like, Who's now in like CSI New Orleans or some shit. 
but I love Tokyo Drift. Great movie. <laughs> and ridiculous. I do it all the time in my Honda CRV on the streets of New Jersey. <laughs> Any uh, final thoughts about Three Coins in the Fountain? I think I'll keep that awkward silence in for dramatic effect. <laughs> Crickets. Crickets. Um, actually, a fun little uh, side note. The uh, Jean Peters, one of the actresses, was uh, married to Howard Hughes oh. for about 13 years. So, And it's weird, too, because you'd think that that would mean she got a part in this movie because she was married to Howard Hughes. No, she got married to Howard Hughes and then just pretty much stopped acting after the fact. Well, she didn't need to anymore, I guess. Thank, Who, well, who's Howard Hughes? Crazy eccentric billionaire, uh, the aviator with uh, Leonardo DiCaprio. That's who he plays in it. Yeah, I don't know, man. <laughs> Are you skeptical of his existence, or both? All right. Well, he was he was a pretty far out there guy. Maybe people just made him up. No, I just I I can't put a face to him. I, I have no idea who it is, but uh, I'm sure I'm sure I'm just probably <laughs> you guys seem to know what's going on and. I just really, really want some chicken. So clearly we have nothing to say about this movie anymore. I'm sure I'll come up with it as <laughs> as we're listening to the episode. But, yeah, like, holy shit, we didn't talk about this at all. I mean, yeah. the only thing I can think of that we didn't talk about was, like, how that dude just hit on girls by saying, hey, want to go to Venice for the day in my plane? <laughs> but then it worked. <laughs> Yeah, that was pretty ridiculous. <laughs> so to recap, our nominees for next week's episode are The English Patient, Fargo, Jerry Maguire, Secrets and Lies, and Shine. And God help us if we get The English Patient. Next week, the podcast goes to... Uh, oh, Fargo. All right. <laughs> Yes. Oh, Fargo. yeah. <laughs> Very excited. Yeah. All right. I'm happy with that. I can't wait to talk in this accent. Uh, you oh, sound like you're from Hotel God. Transylvania. Well, from Minnesota to Transylvania. That's a movie right there. <laughs> I might go see that this weekend. Hotel Transylvania 3. They go on a cruise. It looks pretty good. Ant-Man's out. I oh, shit. We haven't seen Ant-Man yet. Have you seen Ant-Man? No, my buddy said it was really good. Well. But I have to go see Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom first. Well, you have fun with that, Matt. <laughs> right. And then try, just remember when you're watching it, just try to think back to the first one, think back to the first one, and when you get out of that theater, remember, oh yeah, I can just always go and watch the first one. Yeah, that's, that's, that's true. Thank you. I try not to think of the first one because I don't want them to be associated with each other. I just like to pretend it's its own entity, just a different it's, dinosaur franchise. And yet they keep they keep insisting on making more. Yeah, well, people like me insist on spending ten dollars to go see it. Ten dollars. I I gotta start driving down by you to go to the movies. <laughs> yeah, I got an awesome movie theater right near me. That I can just walk to. And the tickets are eleven bucks. Oh, you liar. You said 10 bucks. Well, inflation since we last spoke. <laughs> <laughs> Goddamn government. <laughs> oh, man. Well, on that note, we will be saying, oh, yeah, 
a lot next week. Oh yeah. Fargo. You so, betcha. You betcha. You betcha. Cool, cool, Bob. <laughs> All I right. wanted to sign off, but I felt like I don't know if you guys wanted to say anything else. You betcha and good night. <laughs> it, it's it's three coins in a fountain. What else is there left to say? <laughs> and it's been a wonderful show. Thank you all for listening. Good night and good luck. Good night, Moscow. You betcha. Three hearts in the fountain. Each heart longing for its home. There they lie in the fountain. Somewhere in the heart of Rome. Which one will the fountain bless? Which one?